This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. Today's Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Vanessa Diaz, who's sitting in for Rebecca, who's out on PTO. And we're coming to you from the North Pole, Vanessa. Yay! It's a, it's a, a record-breaking snowfall, apparently, at Portland International Airport today, at 10.8 inches, the oh record my gosh. out there. I, um, my daughter was out with the ruler this morning, as nine-year-olds are wont to do, and we've got about nine inches on our deck. You're pretty close. You're probably about the same. Yeah, more or less. I, I haven't actually been outside to check, but based on the number of cars in the parking lot in front of me that have been having a real fun time out of digging out, um, it looks to be about that, that yeah. much. And as a native California, nay San Diegoan, you are an expert snow driver. You've told me this oh, several yeah, times. You, you're out there. You're ready to go. You're just going to get out. Get Shout out to my dentist who laughed at me yesterday when I was like, I'm not coming. <laughs> and they were like, why? I'm like, have you looked outside and where my zip code is? They're like, no, like, I'm not coming in. Or my area code. Like, sorry, bro. Uh, yeah, there was no chance. No. <laughs> yeah. still, there's still some novelty. I think it's really pretty. And I absolutely went out and made a snow angel like the first time this happened to me. But I'm now solidly in the place of like, wish I'd gotten more provisions because I'm not going outside. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a sneaker. We were expecting some. Anyway, this is all exciting local weather for people out there listening. <laughs> so so we'll, keep, we'll keep. But it's nice and cozy in here today. So it's a good day yes. to talk. Uh, and think about books. And we're going to get into all the news stories of the day. Vanessa, of course, the managing editor of BookRiot.com. Um, and uh, always great to have her on the show. But first, a quick sponsor break, and then we'll get into it a little bit. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness. Um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Vanessa, we haven't had you on the show in a while, so we're going to get to your some recent reading and anything you've loved recently. But you get you get to come in and pontificate, um, you know, sort of paratroop in on some ongoing kerfluffles or yes. questions <laughs> or, uh, you know, ongoing things. And I know you've paid attention to all of them, so maybe a fresh voice will be interesting for everyone, including me today. I, I guess the big news of the week is that this um, HarperCollins strike is over. Yeah. Uh, the, the contract has been ratified, and I guess we have to believe that everyone is at least satisfied, right? Or else they wouldn't have signed it. Yeah. Have you followed this at all? I mean, what you followed it. What, what's what's here? What's interesting? What have you thought of this uh, as the thing has gone on? Yeah, I mean, I've um, yeah, for reasons that of being the managing editor for the site, have definitely you know been all over it for complicated reasons of trying to figure out you know mm-hmm. what how how to approach the the issue at the time you know with coverage. Uh, have definitely been very in support of the union, and I'm I also am at the place where I hope that because it has been signed that everyone is at least satisfied with you know what they've been able to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see what this portents for like future and then also in reviewing the terms of what they got. I'm like, I, I hope this is what you wanted. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I feel like it sounds that way. Um, right. But just because some of the stuff in there felt like a little bit incremental. And I, I hope I hope it makes a really big change for people and that it's a sign of good things. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a tangled web and approaching it on my end has been sort of yeah, like, I don't know, towing that line between like really wanting to support the union and feeling really terrible for all of the many people from marginalized communities whose like books were just not being promoted during that mm-hmm. time was like a weird piece for me because, I mean, yeah, it's just the reality. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the employees, for the union, and, and I hope, uh, again, that this makes a meaningful impact. I guess that's where I'm landing right now. Yeah. This is what we know specifically so far. I'm going to read from the statement of the local... 21, uh, chapter 2110 of the United Auto mm-hmm. Workers that represents the employees, um, achieves improved compensation and benefits, including higher minimums, guaranteed annual increases for everyone rated above unsatisfactory, two hours of overtime without approval for lowest paid employees, improved union rights with release time during work hours, paid time to participate in joint labor management committee and companies diversity initiatives, improved paid time off and ability to continue to work remotely till July. First, so... A lot of it is kind of boiler, not boilerplate's not right, but pretty standard issue union stuff, overtime, pay, yeah. union rights, voting. 
And one of the big questions and interesting pieces of this that we haven't seen, because there aren't any other unions in publishing, to my knowledge, at least among the big five, is something about company diversity. The union um, and the the local members of this union, specifically HarperCollins Union, wanting to try to do something, to use the union bargaining power and mechanism to try to build in support, move forward, whatever whatever you want to say to contribute to increased diversity and inclusion on the publishing house. And I think that's the piece that I was most interested in seeing. Um, Rebecca and I talked about, and you know about this having been part of our own hiring, that it's not as simple as we want to hire more people of color. No. Um, It is and isn't that. When when it comes to what you could actually hire for, how you can make decisions, you get into some discriminatory stuff. Race is a protected, protected class. And rightly or wrongly, and I, you know, that's a whole other situation, <laughs> but just practically it works both ways, right? It just does. Yep. Legally, you can get yourself into real trouble and people have. So what they could actually bargain for on those terms is extremely, extremely interesting to me. And I hope that comes out because everything else, I'm like, great, you got $1,000 more and there's yeah. some other stuff that improves your quality of life and that's great. But the ability of labor to affect these, I guess, moral issues um, that transcends or at least, I don't know, reaches for something other than just very enumerated rights of specific employees, I think is a fascinating moment here. So I assume you're probably pretty interested in that too. Yeah, I mean, like you said, anything that is ultimately aiming to fundamentally change the fabric of like the way the company operates right. and it's, it's, yeah, how it views that, I guess their values around diversity inclusion is very interesting to me. I, I would love to know more because beyond just the kind of one line that's in here. I, yeah, I mean, us, I literally shared one of our job listings this morning and, you know, the most you can generally say mm-hmm. in any situation is that we encourage and we do, right? Like that's a huge part of our ethos. So we right. can speak we to do. our own, um, but what comes next and yeah, what that meaningfully means for them. Like I, I, somebody tell me, <laughs> I absolutely want to know. Yeah. Right. And I think one thing, I, I don't know if this is true for you, um, but as we've watched the efforts by fits and starts, two steps forward, one step back, maybe one and a half step forward, one step back of the diversification in publishing over the last, I don't know, 10 years as I've been watching it yeah. and being a part of it from the sidelines of commentariat. I do have more sympathy from how hard it is to move that needle. Um, oh, yeah. I still think there's a lot more people could be doing, but from a management point of view, I get it more than I used to. And I don't think that, that makes me the man or not, but I have sympathy for it. I think it's both takes more longer lasting commitment um, but it's it's not as simple as maybe you would hope it would be. Uh, it's just true, unfortunately, or whatever. That's just the case. So I really kind of am more interested in longer-lasting incremental, but over a long period. It's kind of like your 401k. Yeah. You know, you want that compound interest. It might not be a whole lot in one year, but let it grow for 10, 15, 20 years. It can really add up, and I think it's just going to take that much time, unfortunately, given so many things, but um, especially this... The difficulty of, of making um, inclusive hiring explicit and goal-based and, you know, really you can't say and behave as if you're trying to do more than hit certain benchmarks that cannot exceed basically the population at large. So yeah. it's very tricky. And I'd, I'd love to see how they came to something. Is it exciting? Is that the thing that got thrown off because it could? Yeah. Is it more? I don't know. Is it is it more... Um, forceful than I could have imagined. Maybe they've gotten creative. Maybe there's, I'm always hoping someone's cracked the nut of doing this differently, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very curious just knowing what goes into our own hiring practices and I mean we we're you know we've done the work or our, our it's an ongoing thing. It's not that we are finished doing work, but I'm yes. constantly trying to stay yeah. on top of how do you account for uh bias? How do we eliminate it? How do we get because that's with, with publishing the thing I come back to a lot is a like you said it's a giant machine, so any change that you make is going to be a mm-hmm. thing that just has to accumulate over time. It's not going to be overnight. And then it's a combination of factors of like, have you undone the stigma around like what publishing salaries are? And like, are you encouraging people of color? Are you are you putting your applications in places where like people of color and folks of other marginalized entities are going to find your application? There's just so much that goes into it that it is it's a plan. You have to make a whole Mm -hmm. plan and strategy and how this union has been able to affect that is, again, just a thing I'm, I'm interested to know more about. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know that moving the lowest salary from 47 to 48 really gets us much in terms of the yep. difficulty of being an entry-level publishing person in New York. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that matters, Vanessa. I don't think that... That was the that does number one so, thing that screamed at me. And yeah. I know that there's, a, I think, a step up, right? That, like, by 2025, it'll yep. go up to 50. Five. But, like, based on what I know about New York living... <laughs> that three thousand dollars. Well, that's six percent in two years. Inflation right now is four. Is four or five? So yeah, gonna be, that's going to be a below inflation. Yep, it's going to be below inflation. And so I, I don't know how else to do this. And again, we're not privy, Rebecca and I've talked. We're not privy to their balance sheet. Nope. How much money is there floating around? Correct. Like, if this went to seventy five, does that make a difference? I mean, it's certainly a lot more. Of course, but does it actively change the, I guess, class background as yep. much as anything for the people coming into? entry-level publishing positions, I don't know. So this is good. I mean, it's, if you're working there today, it's better than it was six months yep. ago. Which um, we applaud. But in terms yeah. of this this grandiose talk of, uh, let's see here, I'm going to do the quote at the bottom, which I found oh, yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. I am confident this will lead to a long-lasting change in work culture at HarperCollins and perhaps in publishing at large. Settle down, I think, with $1,000 yeah. and uh, no specifics. I guess I guess the proof is in the pudding to me. I'm glad it's over. I'm glad those people get to go back to work. I'm glad all the people who work at HarperCollins that aren't in the union, production staff and everybody else gets to kind of come back to normal. And especially, and I don't know if especially, alongside the people who don't work at HarperCollins, whether it be, you know, freelancers, illustrators, yeah. but especially authors, agents, and, you know, other kinds of people can get their book out there in a particular kind of way because it's a real pity. I mean, these people are going to be would have, will have been off work for six weeks. But if you had a Harper Collins book in the launch window here, yep, uh, they've been working on for two years and waiting for two years to come out. That's just it's hard. That's just a bad break. I guess yeah. there's no other way to do it. I mean, you can't you can't you can't blame the union, but it's still a tough break uh, for people with books coming out. So. I guess that kind of will put the wraps on that until we hear something else interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, or don't. I guess. I guess my my base case is we don't hear much more about the specifics of the diverse, diversity inclusions. Maybe I'm jaded, or maybe I'm experienced. <laughs> um, but one of, one of those two things is probably true. Por qué no los dos? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's fair. That's fair. My little Spanish at least knows that much. I've been uh, waiting to put that somewhere. I guess the. Yeah, I know, right? It's 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 a very useful term. Um, the the story this week that broke out outside, I'd say, the world of books is the decision by the Royal Dahl Escaped to rewrite slash remove controversial language from the author's books. Um, you know, the one probably 
that speaks to people that don't even know who Roald Dahl is or know his books because the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie has been remade made once. I don't accept the Johnny Depp version. That's, <laughs> that's some millennial garbage right there. <laughs> Only the Gene Wilder version for me. And then there's the, the Timothy Chalamet one coming out as a musical. Gird your loins, internet, for what that's going to look like. <laughs> but the example given here, and I think the one that's probably indicative and enough to talk about what's happening is in Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Augustus Gloop um, is described as a, has been rewritten to be described as enormous rather than fat. And Miss Twits from the Twits is now just beastly rather than ugly and beastly. And this is very interesting. It reminds me of a story we covered, gosh, it might have been five or six years ago, in which someone, it was, it's, a different, it's different because it's public domain, so mm. um, you know, it wasn't the estate, sort of official rewriting of people doing to Mark Twain's Huck Oh, Finn, that's right. Or was it Tom Sawyer? Maybe both. Of taking out racial epithets yeah. and replacing them with different things, um, for for many of the same reasons, I would guess. I mean, it's slightly different manifestations, but similar reasons. Of there are things that are manifestly unpleasant slash racist, um, fat phobic, yeah, misogynistic, all the kinds of the isms that you have in there, and saying that's not cool, and we want to take them out. I have to admit I'm of two minds about this because there's the scholars part of me that like if it's in the thing it's in the thing and yep. if it's that bad don't read it. Um, yep. There's that part of me that's like that. There's the other part of me that's like, does it really hurt the books that much? It does it does it hurt Charlie in the Chocolate Factory to make this change? I'm kind of like not, so I'm not really sure, Vanessa. Do you have a strong opinion or are you bifurcated like me or where else are you on this the, spectrum, yeah. this particular move? Uh, shared bifurcation for sure. I yeah. Especially, it just—it really depends too, I guess, on what you're changing. No, it doesn't depend. Let me let me back up. My feelings, I suppose, can kind of like wish wash in the sense. I'm like, if you put a really racist thing in your book, like you put a really racist thing in your book, and there's a piece of me that really rails against the idea that like someone's gonna fix it, and now like you—not that you get pardoned for it right. per se, but like again, you put it in there. So like you said, the scholar part of me is sort of just like, well, you put it in there and like let the record stand. There are so many other things that we can read. Like you're, it's not one of five books left yeah. in the world. On the other hand, I get that these are classics. They were classics for me, uh, and I definitely, you know, would I, I guess if you asked me point blankly, do you want a child to be able to enjoy this book without encountering like really harmful or hurtful language? Like, of course, the answer to that, I suppose, is yes. I would also argue that the yeah. spirit of it is potent. Like, okay, so now you call him enormous rather than fat. Like, you're still ultimately probably <laughs> yeah, being fat phobic. We're good now, Vanessa. We're good, right? Not we're to cool. Mention, that, like, that's fine. Everyone's fine. Everything's with that. fine. But like, fat is, it, especially if you talk to anybody in like the fat positivity community, the word fat is just a descriptor. It's the fact that we have like fat phobically yeah. made it a bad thing. But like, fat is a word, mm. just like skinny is a word. So like, enormous. I promise you doesn't change like the actual sentiment with which they're trying to describe Augustus. And in some of the other ones, like, Oh, now I'm beastly, but I'm not ugly. Great. Like I, (laughs) I'm not entirely sure where I land on some of this. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. And there's a lot of changes, right? It's not just in the witches. It says here, there's a piece in the guardian. I should shout out here um, by uh, Mariam Zakir Hussein. 59 changes yeah. in the witches. That That's a lot. That's a lot. And some of them, I don't know. Miss um, Trumbull, for example, is described yeah. as a most formidable woman instead of female. 
parents are references to mother and father have been replaced with parents. Oompa Loompas are small people instead of small men. That was a real head scratcher to me. That was a okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, does it ultimately matter? Either way is also maybe that's the third way. It doesn't matter um, from from a literary historical yeah. point of view. Does this help the discourse, so to speak? Um, I guess to be more generous to the Dahl estate would be we've had our own editorial guidelines change over time as Absolutely. our understanding has changed. Yeah. Now, no, nothing as dramatic as this. I guess it's weird that we think of sort of our editorial guidelines to put ourselves on the hook a little bit as yeah. malleable, open to change. Yeah. Whereas a book gets printed and that is, it's frozen in time and that's it. Yeah. What I feel different about this, if this was Roald Dahl was still alive, he's like, you know what? I'm not happy with this. I think I'd like to go in there. And I think there's part of me that's triggering that. Like, Roald Dahl is not doing this. This is the estate doing this. Thank you. Yeah. And so there's a a bit of a, it feels like a little bit of bait and switch. Like, the books are what they are. Roald Dahl also a noted anti-Semite. Anti-Semite. Let's not not mince words. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And probably other things, frankly. That's all that I know specifically about. So I do feel like there could be a bit of, I don't know, woke washing happening here. I'm trying to coin a term um, to represent a particular author or set of stories as something other than they were. But can you do that and still update them to make them enjoyable yeah. for future generations, to, to feel good about them? I, frankly, I'll be honest, I have not recommended the Royal Dell books to my kids for a lot of these reasons. Yeah. Am I more likely today? I don't know, Vanessa. I really don't. I don't know that I am. I, I mean, I definitely saw some feedback from, you know, we posted a news post about this that was very much just like, this is what mm-hmm. happened. Thanks. Right. Like it wasn't like, please go read Raw Dump. It was very much just like the facts of like this, is what we're doing right now, discussing what they're doing. Um, and a lot of people had feelings, which of course I understood. And again, yes, because he was a raging anti-Semite among apparently some other not so great qualities. And so yes. those folks are just like, look, I'm not recommending those kids, those books to my kids. And this isn't going to change that. I'm like, oh, now like the witches isn't blatantly anti-Semitic in a million different ways because you've swapped out some <laughs> right. words. Yeah. And that's the part. And, and I, I get that it's difficult. There are so many books, you know, a big franchise in particular, but so many others that, you know, over time now I've come to discover that these authors had some either bad intentions or bad people, bad stuff. I get yeah. that if that book means something to you that you have like an attachment to it. But I'm, I'm trying to lean into the place that again, like they had their time. Potentially there's just other things that we can point our kids at. And I get why the estate would want to do this because... Obviously, they probably aren't sitting from a place of like, and now no one will read this guy's books anymore because he was a bad guy. We apologize. Like That's they, a great they, point. They want to keep yeah. people reading them. And so they're like, this is, I imagine, mm-hmm. one of the only solutions they could come up with. But I don't know yeah. that, like, maybe, maybe the it doesn't matter tech is where I'm ultimately landing of like, okay, you can, you know, if that's what makes you right. feel better about it. But ultimately, I'm probably just not going to be recommending the books anymore, even if they did mean a ton to me when I was you know, a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of thinking. I think the, um, the motivation, motivation here is interesting. Maybe some of it is, you know, grossly, I mean, broadly altruistic, but also this is a story. They have copyright to this. They Mm -hmm. want to move units. They have a publisher puffin who probably someone with there is like, you know, we're not going to sell as many books. This isn't great for kids. Yeah. The, all those, both those things go hand in hand, right? I think, Uh um, the tail can wag the dog there, but also the dog could wag the tail. I guess the part the part of me is like, 
extend this to the next wave of right. I'm not even sure. Like there's there's stuff. Well, you know, in in um, Mark Twain, or in Dickens, or in Edgar Allan Poe, or things that have yeah. become historical documents, literary history. Correct. Yeah. I don't want those changed. They are what they are, and they are. you don't have to read them if you don't want to. Um, and that they are a document of their time and of that person, and that has value and import and meaning. It does. It may not be great. It's not what we want to do today, but I don't know that changing it helps. I don't know that changing it fixes that. And if you need to change it for people to enjoy reading it now, maybe just read other stuff. Because as you said, it's not like, well, if Raul Dole goes away, there's no kids' books to read. That's We're out. It. That's sorry. We've got to close up the kids' section and, and go <laughs> home. If anything, there's so many more. I mean, that's there's so many more that my kids read. There's so many more kinds mm-hmm. of stories, different voices, different authors, different perspectives that, you know, maybe the time of Raul Dahl has come and gone. And this is the last gasp of trying to make it a beloved children's book. Um, and me thinks the, the lady doth too much protest. I guess to quote <laughs> the Shakespeare a little bit yeah. about this. Um, an interesting case. I, I'd be curious to hear from the children's librarians out there and the teachers. I know we have them in the audience. Mm, yeah. Does this make you feel better? Does this make you feel worse? Have you heard about this from parents? Have your parent who's been on the fence? Did you even know? Do you even care? Or is this, you know, whatever that Vanessa are doing is a bit of a scholar's lament. And as all scholar's laments are, um, ultimately gets drowned out by market forces and, and, and cultural ideas about how these things happen. But a fascinating story. And you could imagine um, this not being the last case of something like this. Yep. Uh, I don't have a, I don't, I can't think of a sort of what the next one would be. Um, but you could imagine a case where, Someone's like, okay, we can we can uh, say hello to you, fellow kids, by updating to the best of our understanding what language we use. Yeah. I don't know, kind of a strange one. Ultimately, I I'm okay. I shrug my shoulders a little bit. These are these are important stories to me. Don't have that much skin in the game, um, but a lot of think pieces. With the great think piece generation generator, I think of so far of 2023, uh, the middle the Matilda situation, um, and and probably not the last time we heard of it. Can you think of it? Who would be next for? Um, What's well, the? What, it's kind. Of, it's not. A, it's not. A, it's not the opposite of canceling, but it's like no. sort of a moral insurance policy closest, <laughs> of getting baked into the book. The happened. closest comp I could think yeah, of is actually ahead. one that already happened and it got handled different, which is Sue. So it's just sadly, I was like, who else is anti Right. Um, and they basically and like, chose. We're, not we're just not going to publish them. Yeah. Right. So like in theory, the Royal Dollar State could have done that, but like clearly they weren't gonna. Yeah. For reasons, and so that that is the I don't know that was the first one that came to mind ostensibly as like okay what's a really really giant kids book author that like we notably know other than again stating like the obvious wizard school stuff right uh, yeah yeah and the tack there was a little bit different they're like we're Super. just gonna cut out we're just gonna stop publishing the books yep. that are problems so like we have a rotting piece we're gonna cut mm. off the rotting piece of this apple but the rest of the apple's fine the Dallas it's like I think what helps uh, them there, there are though? worms all through here I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, right. I think what helped them there is that the books that they got to eliminate, and this is probably me being experienced last jaded again, but yeah. is that they were not their best sellers. Like, they just weren't. They were, like, kind of obscure. It wasn't all the places you'll it go. It wasn't all the places you'll right. go. It wasn't mm-hmm. Cat in the Hat. So, like, it was very easy to be like, oh, we're going to scrap this book that none of you cared about until precisely this second. Um, yeah, again, wearing my jaded hat today, but that's what right. I'm coming at. 
Well, you're not that. I mean, you're. It's been a, several years since you were a frontline bookseller. But would people come in looking for Roald Dahl? Would they come in saying, "Do you have Matilda?" Or like, what was the 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 pulse of the buyer four or five years ago? Yeah, now were people exactly buying it? Was. Yes, it was intended to be yeah. people of a. I was going to say of a certain age, and I don't mean that to sound ageist. I just literally mean people who have like an attachment to the book. So that could mean right. anything from like a millennial up, yeah. right? So were they still being purchased? Yes. Did kids come in? No. Like they were looking for wonder. They were looking for uh, what's that cats? Yeah. Anyway, they were looking for other stuff, right? Because they're like they want to talk about the things cat that their warriors. friends are cat warriors. Thank warrior you. Animals? <laughs> yes, yeah. man. Cat that warriors. was yeah. that was the series. Um, yeah. My daughter has been threatening to go on the 40 volume plus Cat Warrior adventure. And I'm like, oh God. I was absolutely the person selling five of those at a time to a mom who would come in and order five of them at a time, five of them at a time. So, yeah. anyway, yeah, point mm-hmm. being that it was not a thing that kids were actively asking about. So, there is that. Right. Maybe let it go, parents. Let, let Doll go. And this is an effort to. I wonder if they've seen something in the sales. Uh, 2020 is when they started thinking about this, it looks like. And that was a, as we all know, there was a um, a spike in awareness about representation language, yeah. especially about books, but everywhere else. And they got, I'm, I'm sure they got the bull rolling there. How much of it was, this is good for the world, um, and how much it was a shoring up yeah. their uh, moral saleability? Interesting to see. Anyway, podcast at bookriot.com. If you've got a uh, story or a, a take on on Dahl, I don't, I don't hear him as t- those books talked about as much. Like the Matilda musical has kept that Absolutely. story. I think Matilda's a beloved character. Yep. I don't know why we. I don't know why we keep doing the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing. I, and maybe my radar's completely off, but I don't have a sense in the book lovers world of great affinity for that particular story. Me neither. So I don't know why we keep coming to that. Is it because Willy Wonka is a great character to play and you can get a movie made if Johnny Depp or Timothy Chalamet wants to do that? It seems very strange to me that we keep doing that particular one, but um, that's a that's another situation. <laughs> Speaking of messes, oh God. <laughs> I know you don't, we don't want to talk about this. We, I'm not sure that we've had our head in the sand as we're not ostriches doing that. But we're definitely looking for soft sand. <laughs> Is there any soft sand yeah. around here? Yeah, like, oh, look, this looks nice. When it comes to <laughs> chat, uh, GPT, and ebooks, um, so this particular story is not one I had anticipated, and. I think we should. I should get used to that phrase coming out of my mouth when it comes to this particular <laughs> yeah, technology. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's been apparently a boom in AI-written ebooks. You can ask the chatbot, and I haven't done this. Can you ask it to write a 20,000 short story with a couple of parameters? I haven't gotten that far into it, but apparently you either can or you can in, in big chunks or mm-hmm. de facto you can use it to write a book like this. And that has a couple of different effects. One is that the independent or the smaller slush pile, smaller publications that have a slush pile. And for those of you who don't know what a slush pile means is you will accept unsolicited manuscripts for consideration for acquisition and publication. Mm-hmm. It tends to be smaller kinds of things. Like the New Yorker, maybe there is technically a slush pile, but I don't think they're combing through it every week to decide what yeah. the short story is going to be in there. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but the slush pile has a virtue, which is there is a place, if you don't have any connections in the book world, where you can submit and someone could theoretically see your work. Yep. But that viability and visibility 
only is possible at all if the size of the pile is somewhat manageable <laughs> by the staff, right? And even even to consider them, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the I'm sure the um, submissions policies are different all over the place. I don't think everything in every slush pile is getting read. Maybe you'll give it a page. Yeah. Maybe the time it's constrained by the time you have that week. But at least there's somewhere to go. But if that slush piles apparently has happened in some places like Clark's World, for example, that goes oh from yeah. 20 submissions a day to hundreds of submissions a day, like kind of in a, in a couple month period, because people can churn out more crappy. And let's be honest, what we've seen so far is average, below average. But again, it's not gobbledygook, I guess I'll say. No. I've, people are so impressed by ChatGP. I'm not. I mean, it's fine, whatever, for... But I'm not like, would I have been proud to write that? No, I haven't seen one thing I would have been proud to write. So maybe it'll get there eventually. So that's a separate situation. But this is tough, right? Because on our level, I guess, Vanessa, from time to time, we open up submissions for new contributors. Mm -hmm. And part of that is a writing sample. Do you think tomorrow, if we open a call contributor, we'd see like an order of magnitude change in the number of submissions because of ChatGPT? Have you thought about this yet? We haven't talked. I know we we've talked about some of this behind the scenes in terms of policy, and yeah. you know we expect our writers to you know these are your words, and we kind of had to do some of that of late just to get out in front of it a little bit. But do you think that would happen? And then what would we do? I I, I generally don't know how we'd figure this out if we got five hundred. Yeah. When we expecting fifty? I thought about this a lot in the last like forty eight hours specifically <laughs> because uh, spoiler yeah. alert, we are getting ready to try to open up applications. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, a few things. Like one, I have not attempted like a long, long form, but like several of the editors have attempted to make it at right just sort of something shorter. And I will fully double down yes. on the fact that nothing I have seen has been what I would call like impressive per se, where I'm like, wow. Um, but. Does it also very much sound like Danica, for example, asked it to write something, and I can't remember what it is, but something specifically that she would have written about. And like, did it sound like Danica? No. Did it sound like something that a human conceivably could have written and that was average? Yes, absolutely. And like the differentiation factor, one, right? So that's problem number one. Two, the submissions, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's hard and we are a small company. There's not that many people reviewing these things. That is the case for a lot of you know, submission-based publications. I don't. I don't know how we. That's a thing I'm going to have to think more about. Like, what are we going to do if we suddenly yeah. get flooded with all of this stuff? If it does meaningfully kind of sound human, for like, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm right. in a. I'm in a prickly place about how I feel about this for so many reasons. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like the fear here is. And there, I read a good um, Substack by Lincoln Michael, who is kind of a literary person has been mm-hmm. around has a couple books his book called the body scout is pretty good came out a few oh, yeah. weeks ago or i think a couple, a couple years, years ago. ago i think yeah. anyway he had a piece yeah wrapping up some of this but also talking explicitly about like the behind the scenes of how it's hard to know and especially if you're trying to be a writer or a reader and you don't have and i didn't have this kind of insight into it before we started i started doing this at all and it took me a, f- a couple years to understand it how many manuscripts there are out there yeah how many books there are that people have read they want to publish and it's really hard and one of the reasons i don't know that people have heard me rail against the gatekeepers on this show and one of the reasons i haven't at least the existence of gatekeepers how those gates are kept are a different kind of story but i know how many 
people are trying to get in those gates. How many yeah. manuscripts are trying to get those gates? It is hard to, to, to deal with. And the other truth of them is most of them are not worth your time to read. Yeah. They just aren't. They're just not worth your time to read. Rebecca and I were talking a couple of weeks ago that most of the books we read are pretty good and we really like them. Some of that is because we do a good job filtering, yeah. but some of that is because there are so many books out there that the ones that tend to get published by any kind of press you've heard of are pretty good because there's so many of them that taking just the top 1% means yeah. they're pretty good. And flooding the bottom decile, well, it's not even decile anymore, but making there <laughs> yeah. to be... 10,000 more bad ones, because none of these would get published, right? No one's worried right now that these are going to crowd out a really interesting story written by a human, by hand, or whatever whatever metaphor we're going to come up with. What it's doing right now is crowding out the time and attention that the gatekeepers had to try to find something special from someone special. And that's a bummer, right? I think, if anything... It's going to be harder. This actually hurts the kinds of voices that have a hard time getting heard anyway yep. to get flooded. It just is. I, I'm, I hadn't thought about this just volume problem because I'm not that concerned or even interested right now about the quality because ChatGPT is not going to write Ulysses. It's not even going to write Matilda. No. It's just not. It's a mimic. Um, it can mimic things pretty well, and mimic means you can probably be pretty average. Yeah. So if you're an av- if you depend on your livelihood for average writing, maybe you should be worried. But this situation is really difficult, and it makes the gatekeeping functions. And one thing um, Lincoln says is that probably it makes the network effect that that very thing that excludes people. Gatekeepers uh, are yeah. probably going to need to rely on that even more, right? I mean, you can yep. understand that, but I don't know how you get around that. I think this is a very difficult problem if this becomes a thing. Um, I'm, I'm not excited about this. And I wouldn't be excited if I'm a self-published author, right? Nope. Because I don't have the, imp- the imprint of an imprint, right? right? I don't have all those things against me. And I wonder if the self-published world, which, you know, is algorithmically derived, there's a lot of tropes, it's a lot of genre, um, a lot of people that are reading romance, category romance or category mystery thriller or mystery or something like this, especially on self-publishing platforms, individual readers are going to be the ones having to gatekeep if instead of yep. five results for, I don't know, period romance or yep. um, uh, in the blank, Elizabethan really, yeah. romance featuring a dog, right? There's Instead of there being four, there's 50. What are you going to do? I have no idea. Yeah, like in this um, Reuters piece that uh, we were looking at, which is by Greg Benziger, yep. it talks about... Um, how you know in theory there are several of these books that are flooding amazon that are they do list chat gpt as an author but there's also several people or at least one or two that are quoted i think in the piece is saying like no i didn't feel the need to disclose that like why i, I did some zhuzhing to it so it's just from like an, no. I'm, i hate to be no i don't hate to be this person i'm proud to be this person of like just getting into the whole art um it's actually a really great piece that danica uh, our editor wrote for the site that i think went up yesterday that mm-hmm. um kind of dives into like well what are the complexities around chat GPT? And one of them dives into like, why do we, why do we want to tell stories? Why do we seek out stories? Like just the discussions of art sort of thing. When I'm looking at all these chat GPT, honestly, the thing that really made me bristle is in that first couple paragraphs is that some dude says like, you know, I always thought of writing a book. And so I wanted to write a book and now I have, I'm like, well, no, you, you didn't though. And no. <laughs> like, you literally didn't like you. And he was like, yeah, now I feel like I can do this again. I'm like, but you didn't write the book. And like, if that is, 
the, the whole reason that I look for stories and that I consume, you know, books, which yeah. obviously are an art to me, is, is for a specific purpose that I don't feel like chat GPT can fill. So between my angst about mm-hmm. that and then the difficulties that this now poses on actual, like you said, great stories, potentially making it into someone's hands, uh, it just... I am so deeply not <laughs> pleased about having to think about this, though I mm-hmm. obviously will. Well, and I think th- if in an early stage of a new technology, it's hard to know the trajectory. I'll just say True. that writ yeah, large. And absolutely. sometimes the 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 pluses and minuses don't become clear for sometimes. And sometimes it can be, if not self-correcting, at least some self-regulation. Because yeah. if people are spending time doing these chat GPT things and end up not having a lot of success getting them placed, they'll stop doing them. That's true. Right. Yeah. So there, there could be kind of a gold rush here. Like not everyone who went to San Francisco in 1849 turned into, into um, gold barons, right? True. In fact, vanishingly few did. So this could be a, a bit of a tragedy of the common situation where this is available to everyone and everyone uses it, meaning that it's of no use to anyone from basically trying to misrepresent yep. or get a AI-assisted or AI-generated story placed. I would hope pretty soon that there'll be some counter technologies available, right? Some can you detect? And we've seen this happening. There's been some upstart places um, saying, you know, much like you can run something through a plagiarism filter or it's like Mm. disappear online. Could you run this through an AI detection filter and say, you know, with some confidence that this is an AI generated (laughs) thing? And some of it because it's it could be too perfect, right? It could yeah. have no spelling errors or no punctuation errors or be completely grammatically correct, which most of us, including yours truly, who taught composition and grammar at a high level for a long time, still <laughs> screw stuff up a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. So there could be some ways in which this is a day one or day zero kind of, yeah. oh my gosh, it's hard no, to extrapolate right. from initial conditions. But you can see a world in which this is a huge bummer. And I guess the other thing, from a, a book lover standpoint, I don't see a lot of upside, right? I can yeah. see in some fields there being a lot of upside, um, but in this one, I'm like, I, I'm struggling to find what version of this. I'm like, the books I'm reading are better. Yeah. I don't see it, Vanessa. Is there, help me. Is there, is there one? Is there some version of this tell. where I'm like, maybe research people are doing? You know, um, I was just reading, oh, I can't remember. I think Jasmine, no, Celeste Ng was tweeting about, the research she was doing for her next book, which is always, it's kind of like teasing, but not teasing, but sure. also just the life of the writer. And I wonder if some of that research is more, is easier. Cause the other thing we know about search right now, mm. just regular <laughs> search on the web yep. also kind of sucks. Super. So that's the only thing I can think about maybe, maybe some of the research stuff gets more interesting. Um, if you're doing historical fiction or really anything we're trying anything, to be responsible yeah. about representation in detail, but as a reader, I'm probably not going to notice that. Yeah, I'm that's what I was about to say. I was going to say, as the reader, though, are you paying attention to that? What I don't know that I haven't spent, um, I've thought about it, but I just don't have as much perspective on there. Is there's any like accessibility Mm -hmm. upsides to this that I'm like not um, considering? And I'd like to just go ahead and say that. That's a really good point. Um, We actually have someone, I think, who's actually writing a piece on the site about that um, from an informed place being a disabled person herself. And so I'm obviously very open to like. To, to that being a thing that I'm not considering in my mm-hmm. crankiness. And if so, then of course I am pro that. But yeah, yeah. overall, like you said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm go, I'm, I've shifted a little bit to potentially what you just said, giving more consideration to the fact that these are early days and that um, mm-hmm. we might see like some, some course correction, but I'll be, I'll be interested to see where it goes. 
Yeah. Um, let's do our second sponsor break and then uh, wrap up with some other stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santángel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Um, so Kelly was going to uh, co-pilot today, but she is without power. So luckily, we have a deep bench we can pull on. And one, th- I asked her, "Is there anything you want to talk about specifically this week?" And she's like, "I really want to talk about Barnes and Noble's new membership plan, which I had seen, but I hadn't put on my radar. I ha- we haven't ever talked about this on the show of of loyalty programs from booksellers and." I remember as a kid, a kid, a teenager, when I was first like buying books on my own, the Raven Bookstore in, in my beloved hometown of Lawrence, Kansas, had a punch card. And I think for every 75 bucks I spent, I got $10 to spend. So that's what, a 12% kickback on that? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, and this is, I, if you have any experience with this, Vanessa, as a seller or a buyer or anything else, but I, this is actually as much of a call to the readers or the listeners right now. If you're part of a membership program, what do you use it? Does it matter at all? I did the Kindle Rewards bit a while ago. It doesn't seem to have mattered a bit. It doesn't matter a bit to my own book buying. So Barnes & Noble launches a new one. They've had one. This is a $40 annual membership service, and you get discount online, and you get some other stuff. They say they have 5.5 million people in their existing $25 membership program, and they think two-thirds of those people are going to move over to the $40 all right. Details, fine. I don't know if anyone cares. If you're a Barnes & Noble member and you're super excited about this, let me know and I'll, I'll read your email or talk about your, your feedback. 
do you do you care about this? Because like we've talked about this internally with some other stuff, um, you know, like yeah, frequent yeah. flyer programs. I think I've you're in Alaska. You do the Alaska thing. You're flying back and forth to San Diego a bunch. Yep. So you, you know, you do Alaska. You get the points. You can use it. PRH um, famously has, oh my gosh. Fam- infamously yeah. for us, has <laughs> yeah. a reader rewards program to try to get you to buy from Penguin Red House, which is a whole other thing. I guess I'm surprised a little bit that this is not a bigger thing in book buying. Because Starbucks has one, it's like a big deal. Macy's, yeah. Nordstrom, like they're, you know, Gap, Banana, and retailers, like they have their own credit cards, and I guess Barnes & Noble does too. I guess as much as anything is that book buying is so confederated that unless you're Barnes & Noble, maybe it doesn't matter, you know? And I don't even yeah. know, do most indie bookstores have or do most indie bookstores don't? What's your ex- experience been what, as, a, as a seller as, and as a buyer with um, the idea of a membership plan? I definitely, I mean, my experience was all in San Diego and then obviously now in Portland. And I'd say for me, it was like probably like a 50-50 if I'm like remembering correctly as far as like people that offered some kind of rewards. It tended to be more of what you just described though as like a, like a, I have my my stamp to Broadway books now. But yeah, like that you you buy so many books Mm -hmm. and I think you either get like another one, like a paperback for free or like maybe $10. I forget what the reward is. So like do the reward programs exist? Yes. I wonder if, yeah, the reason why it isn't maybe bigger, it just it really just depends on the person's like book buying habits. I mean, right now you're trying to get, you yeah. know, you're competing with like, do people shop? You know, once upon a time, basically, Barnes & Noble really was the place that my parents were taking me to get books because we didn't live in a place that had an indie bookstore close. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have Kindles, etc. So it was pretty much like you were going to like the Walden books, the B. Daltons or the Barnes & Noble of the world. Yeah. And I was absolutely a person who had memberships once I was in, like, in college or high school because I was a power book purchaser and what have you. But then now there's just so many different places where you can buy books. I I don't know that – I guess it just depends where people's loyalty is. Like I, it, I'm wondering, too, what mm. is so enticing – and maybe I didn't read this piece carefully enough, but like the, why it's – like, do you get a much better perk for it to be the forty dollars versus the twenty five? I know well, they offer like most, a lower tier. The old tier. one was only good at physical stores. Oh, that's right. And the right, new one right. is good online. Okay. So that is a potentially significant change for yeah. people that buy a lot of their books online from no, Barnes right. and Noble. And Barnes and Noble hasn't cared, or I don't know, cared is the wrong word. Their e their online commerce situation has not been awesome. Over the, and they focused on bricks and mortar. That's where their bread and butter is. I'm now mixing all of my metaphors, but you hear what I'm saying. <laughs> They're putting their, their butter on their bricks um, is what they've been doing over the last couple of years. And I wonder if this is an attempt to engage with a different kind of consumer, right? Um, I can only yes. imagine that the wealthier, more urban buyer wants to have this stuff delivered. As much, I like... I like to go to the bookstore. Sometimes I just want to have it delivered. And those yep. are two different book buying instances for me. Yep. They're, they're, they're functionally different. different. So I could imagine that by getting, they want to loop those people in. And, you know, this also occurred to me. I was, I was, I go to a Barnes & Noble every now and again. There's several around Portland in malls and other places, and the yeah. kids like to go. And it's a good family 45-minute time. Yep. And I was talking on the podcast recently about the, one of the new format ones out west of town. Have you been out to that one out in Hillsboro? I'm not sure how often you get west, but there's one of the newer format Barnes and Nobles out no, there. No, I haven't been to that it's one. Nice. I've been to it's a good browsing one. experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know what I didn't think about then, and I didn't have my eyes out for, um, 
One of the things that Barnes & Noble did, uh, famously memorialized in, in uh, You've Got Mail, which it's the uh, 25th anniversary of You've Got Mail this year, by the way. We've got to do something about Dude. that. That's a different conversation altogether. <laughs> Discounting. That yeah. was the hook. 40% off bestsellers. 30% off hardcovers. Does Barnes & Noble discount as much as they used to? I feel like maybe they don't. Because I, if that's same. the hook, you don't need a membership thing. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's the book industry in general mm-hmm. being a thing that operates on such thin margins has always been really interesting to me when you get into discussions of discounts because, like, frankly, I think that's probably why more indies don't offer it because unless you are yeah. established and have, like, a really robust community of people that are buying from you all the time, it's hard to offer discounts on stuff that you're already, like, squeaking mm-hmm. by. Someone like a Barnes & Noble could possibly do that. Um, and then, yeah, I, w- I will say I did recently go into one in San Diego, and I remember thinking that, yeah, when I was younger, the reason I bought so many books from them, because I was absolutely bulling on a budget, is that I would go yes. to those, like, racks. I can get more like, books per month. Oh, my gosh, I would buy so many. <laughs> exactly. Yes, so many. And I don't think I've seen as much of that. Maybe it's because I just don't go in as mm. often. Maybe I miss the tables. I feel like the last thing I saw, way more tables about TikTok books than I did about, like, here's the really pricey, slashy stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's it's true. We've we've talked about this to some degree, and I don't think there's a lot of data around it. You'd have to get someone at Amazon or one of the big publishers, frankly, to talk to you about. It it just doesn't feel like it. So I bought. I have. We're going to do. This is a double plug. This is a double edged sword. Uh, Nuts. Boy, I'm mixing it again. (laughs) Um, So we're doing. I'm having. I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay as our new Patreon book club pick. We're going to do that episode. Record it next week, right? and so there was a time, so right now on Amazon, this is the easiest place to go, 24 bucks hardcover, discounted down from 28 So that's a 14% discount. There was a day, I feel like, a few years ago, that would have been a 30% discount. This is a big literary yep. commercial crossover um, book from, is this Doubleday? Let me just see. I think it's Doubleday. I can't. God, maybe. all right. There's so many blurbs. I know. That's why I'm like... I don't know. It looks like maybe it's blur... Jeez, this used to be so much better. What a disaster. Anyway, se- secondary... Oh, Viking. Okay, so it's in the Penguin group, not the Kauf yep. group at Penguin Round House. No one cares, but I do. Um, <laughs> so it's a big... It's Viking's a big commercial imprint. I wouldn't be surprised if this gets picked for Reese's Book Club or some other pieces that haven't already. Yeah. I haven't really followed it. 14% discount. It used to be 30. It would have been 30 in the old days. Yep, sure would have. And I, I guess, I guess it it would have, and so, and I think probably if I went to Barnes and Noble, it'd be similar. It seems like ten to fifteen percent for all but the top, like the very, very, very big loss leaders. Like I'm just going to type in lessons in chemistry right now because that's the, <laughs> that book continues to sell. That's crossed over. No, it has specifically on Barnes and, and Noble okay. too. <laughs> yeah, is that true? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. they did. It that's right. Like that was their book, book of the year. year I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Lessons in Chemistry, right now, number one best-selling hardcover on Amazon last week. Um, wow. This is almost a year old now. The sticker price, $29. The buy new price on Amazon, eighteen twenty-six. So, that's still 37%. That's still, okay. But that's the exception rather than the rule. It used to yeah. be that every single thing that came out on hardcover on Amazon, you could get at a 30 to 40% discount. Yeah. And I wonder, as that has been pulled back, if that's an untold story or an unacknowledged story element of indies having resilience of Barnes and Noble yeah. coming back because maybe some of the pricing pressure isn't there anymore it's not quite yep. as bad as it used to be is that possible it's yeah it's very possible yeah okay well there we go anything else on, I don't know is membership I guess the the whole like pricing the 
pricing and discounting and membership about books is so fascinating. It's, because yeah. one of the reasons that a Gap or an Alaska Airlines or um, a Starbucks can do stuff differently is they're not selling exactly the same goods, right? That's Correct. a problem with books. That lessons exactly. in chemistry is a commodity you can buy in like four or five different places. Yep. Rather than you want to buy my product. It's a yep. little bit different. Fly on my airline, get my coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's right. The same kind of thing. Uh, okay. Last thing, a bit of an announcement. There's a new, we've got a new thing that Book Riot's doing. Um, yeah. Fortuitous, actually, that one of the reasons that you're on this today yeah. is it's a <laughs> newsletter that has a subscription element. Well, why don't you tell people what it is? And then I'll come in with my stupid small con- contribution. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we are launching a, a cool new newsletter um, over on the Substack. It's called The Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is going to feature basically just more behind the scenes stuff. It's going to have like really more in-depth stories, like kind of deep takes, useful advice, stuff that's, as we have, you know, branded it, experts in the world of books and reading. It'll be like much mm-hmm. more juicy, long form content um, coming from people like the editors, for example, and, and Jeff. Jeff famously has, when he's doing one of our first pieces, yes. did Rebecca, we've got two, two really great ones in there. Um, there is going to be both a paid tier and a free tier. So if you get the free tier, you will get once a month a roundup of sort of bookish recommendations and or bookish goods that are recommended to you again by like book riot peeps and then if you do the deep dive you're going to be getting that um, particular subscription so you'll be getting like again like a long meaty newsletter on topics of our choice that we're either we're just really jazzed to do and this is where the fun element comes in for us because yes. it's given us some space to both go off on some deep deep ends, uh, just wax on for a bit about a thing we're really interested in, in some cases really wanted to research, and bringing that for people that are wanting to kind of join us um, in the deep end, as I have said a few times in the copy <laughs> for said <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> I apologize in advance for all of the puns that went into this making. But yeah, really jazzed about it. I'm one of the creators, obviously, behind this, um, as is Jeff. And yeah, we're, we're excited to bring this to, to the people. So I'll put a link in the show notes where you can go find it. Um, I don't know if the piece I did is one of the free ones or one of the paid ones. I'm not, I'm not actually sure. I'll talk about it just for a minute. So I wrote 2,200 words. Sharifa edited me, so I don't know what she cut it down to. I think she took out a little, you know, maybe <laughs> cleaned me up a little bit. So somewhere around that, Sharifa edited yeah. me for this. I guess there's another thing to say is like you and I and Sharifa and Rebecca, we don't write for the site anymore. Um, we Correct. do the pods or some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And one of the reasons we got excited about this is – a different value proposition for us to go deep on something. Yeah. A 2000 word feature on BR anymore is not something we do a whole lot of. It's a longer time, but really spotlighting it and giving ourselves a chance to, to uh, wallow in one. So my piece is um, why the Colleen Hoover phenomenon is the weirdest bookish phenomenon of, <laughs> of all time. Um, for those of you who are on the Patreon, you know that Rebecca and I picked it as one of the 10 weirdest bookish phon- phenomenons of our reading lives. And that was kind of the, um, the diving board. Boy, I'm going to extend the pool metaphors. You'll do the puns, I'll do the metaphors. Because um, <laughs> I didn't really capture how strange it was in that particular moment. And this, I think, I don't know, I have like five or six bullet points um, talking about how it's strange. And none of them, frankly, for those of you who listen to Patreon, are that I didn't care for it. I think it's so outside, uh, or, or it being, I only read It Ends With Us. It Ends With Us, Maybe yeah. the other ones are wildly different. That has not been my, that's not the information I've gotten from the larger reading world. But I had a really fun time 
um, writing this. I'll give you, uh, Rebecca read it, and she said she said her favorite sense is when I said, Colleen Hoover is um, fast and furious for the heart and sometimes groin. So that's your tease uh, about what I wrote about Colleen Hoover. Jeff, you're really um, selling it to me right now. Go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I know. You and Jen are fast and furious people. Yes, we are. But anyway, <laughs> that's new to hear. Are you excited for Fast X? Are you, are you mourning? Because is this the last? It sounds like Vin Diesel's giving me this is the end of the line vibes when I'm watching the trailer. Yes. If there is a way that I can make this bookish and put this in the deep dive, you best believe you're sweet. You know what? That like, it's going to happen because this is like such a large part of who I am. It is such a, like an anomaly for me and the things I'm interested in. But yes, I am excited yeah. slash mourning um, that this will, in theory, it's supposed to be the last one. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Anyway, not to make this about the the Fast and Furious, but I had a lot of fun. I tried to be both critical and entertaining at the same time and and play around. And um, So go check that out if you're interested at all in uh, different kinds of longer form introspection, uh, just spection at all, introspection, circumspection, Mm -hmm. uh, all those kinds of things. That's the deep dive, and I'll, I'll be plugging it more as we go on. And you know what, Vanessa, that's our time today. We're done. We did it. We did. Flies by. Do you want to plug anything you've read recently that you really liked? Usually Rebecca and I spend a minute, but is there anything on your, the tip of your, your tongue that you're like, this was great? Yeah, I actually just finished reading uh, Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, mm. which um, Natalie Haynes okay. is the author of A Thousand Ships, which is one of the ones that was shortlisted for the Women's Prize, I think in like 2020. Um, okay. She's a classicist and like comedian and... Um, podcast host all about the classics so like she just does a great job with this stuff but this one's written to retell medusa's story and it's very Uh. feminist and i highly recommend it on audio because she basically she reads it which you know being like a performer herself she lends a really great um, attitude to the performance and it paints every single one of the gods and goddesses as the most petulant petty like it's it's just such a strong voice like it was really funny like almost modern in it's like application in the way that some of these characters Hmm. play out but with this like story of medusa and how women have especially in the classics like so often paid the price for like the decisions of men um so yeah i'm really really fascinated with with that one it's one of my favorites of the year I am to the point where I do need a recommendation like that to pick up a feminist retelling of Greek mythology. Not that I haven't liked them, but just there's so many now. There's are so are many, you in yeah. general? This is a is this a, a genre jam for you, or is this unusual for you to be reading? One oh, this is extra, like it's yeah, like it's it should just be tattooed on me at some point. Um, this is definitely like a thing that I pick up pretty automatically, and it's it stood out as one of okay. like the cooler ones to me lately. Just because again, the voice is. A I, I feel bit a different. deep dive coming on. Oh, I it's think happening. you may need to rank the best <laughs> modern feminist retelling. Is that happening? Okay, good. Yeah, I is. would read that, and I will read that when it comes yep. out because I there's so many now, um, and some of them they tend to all seem pretty good. Like the the floor of quality for these seems pretty good. Am I wrong about that? No, like I honestly, I mean, I, I read so much of it, and I got to tell you, like, there's only been like two in the last couple years that I've read that mm-hmm. really I'm like, yeah, okay, I could have taken or left that, but like, yeah, I've read like Claire North, it's out here. Jennifer Saint did a really great one. Natalie Haynes, um, and that's just the Greco-Roman stuff. Like, yeah. I I read across lots of different, um, right, lots of, of mythology. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So. Yeah. Oh, great, great, great book. All right, I recommend it. I look forward to that. A coming, uh, coming deep dive. Vanessa, Vanessa is putting on sunscreen. She's getting ready to do the deep. She knows she's got. She's getting the swimsuit yep. on. She's getting a big hat out. She's great. getting ready to get out on the pool for a deep dive. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Vanessa, thank you so much. A pleasure to have you as always. Thank you so much. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, bookriot.com/slash/listen. Choose an email podcast at bookriot.com. Check out the Patreon. 
patreon.com slash the book riot podcast. The most recent one was a um, Jeff bad, weird idea that I think people actually enjoyed. So um, it was, it's a giveaway. Rebecca and I are doing a giveaway, but you have to listen to the Patreon to figure out what it, the story is with that. But we had a good time with that. Great. Vanessa, we'll talk to you some sometime, hopefully not, not as long next time. Uh, maybe okay. if we're going to be snowed in, we're just going to start podcasting. Every <laughs> That's all we're going to do. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I station Diaz. Um, all right, Vanessa, we'll talk to you later. Thanks so much.